incorporating the the entire church, the entire all the generations, um, everybody together to do something for God. Right? We're better together. And we also focus a little bit on the mentoring that that should naturally happen, as the people who have experienced things can teach that to people who haven't. So this week is part two, and we're looking at a view from heaven. Turns out that Jesus has something to say about generations working together. And and also we're going to be highlighting and emphasizing how the older generation can learn from the younger generation. Okay? So um, I, I can say this for myself. Sometimes we don't necessarily see that, right? Um, but we definitely can, and, and Jesus points that out to us. So many of you know Donna Irvin. She was going to actually share a testimony time, but she's not feeling well and couldn't make it. So um, I don't know if we'll maybe get a chance to do this at some other point, but if not, ask her about her experience working with – so she's – she, she once went on a mission trip with our teenagers to Dominican Republic, and, um, and she was quite impressed with the teens and all that she learned from them. And she currently still works with our launchers, right? And she, uh, and she has a lot of wisdom to impart on them, but she still learns from them to this day. So uh, talk to her about that. I, like, I can't share all the details that she might, but I think she would be an encouragement to you if you ask her to share some of her stories. So let's start with some, some things from little ones. Okay, so these are some prayers from seven-year-olds. So this was Debbie. She said, please send a new baby for mommy. The new baby you sent a few weeks ago cries too much. Hank, yeah, Hank says, thank you for the nice day today. You even fooled the weatherman. And Angela says, could you please give my brother some brains? So far, he doesn't have any. All right? But not everything that we learn from little ones is just funny, okay? There, there are some deep things that they can teach us. So there was a third grade class, and the teacher often made this deal with them, right? She would give them an opportunity to make as much noise as they want with the agreement that after that time, they would make silence, and then in that silence, she would ask them to write and meditate and pray, do things. So these are some of the things that, that were written or were told to her during that time of silence. One boy wrote a poem, and part of the poem goes like this. Silence is spiders spinning their webs. It's like a silkworm making its silk. Lord, help me know when to be silent. All right? That's a third grader. And another third grade girl said, silence reminds me to take my soul with me wherever I go. So there are plenty of things that we can learn from even the littlest of the little ones. So let's set the stage today for a dialogue found in Matthew 18. All right, this is verses 1 through 3. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and he placed a child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. All right. So critics would say that this whole idea is ridiculous, right? Little children are easily fooled. They're easily manipulated. They'll believe anything. They'll do whatever you say. So this is just further proof that Christianity is 
ridiculous. It's fake. It's a check your brain at the door when you enter the church because there's, it's just a list of do's and don'ts and checklists, and, and that's all there is to it. It's just a way for somebody to control you, right? So none of those arguments are new, but they're still out there. So from that perspective, they would say, case is closed. The whole concept of Christianity is, is ridiculous. So not exactly, right? Um, God absolutely wants us to use our brains. And he's not afraid of our questions because he has the answers. So back to the children. Shockingly, it turns out that Jesus knew what he was talking about. So remember, the question that started this conversation was, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So the disciples' thoughts about greatness were based on their, the way they, they saw the culture around them, right? So their whole idea of greatness was defined by what the culture around them told them greatness was. But Jesus had already begun to provide a whole new perspective on what it meant to be great, right? So you guys remember that uh, Jesus said to be great that you have to be a servant. He said that to be first, you have to be last. He said that there was a place for meekness in his, in his kingdom, right? All of these things kind of turn the culture upside down, right? None of these things seem like what it means to be great. They seem the opposite, right? So Jesus turned all that upside down. So what can we learn? Well, we can learn a lot. Little children are not nearly as likely to trip over their pride as we are. They're not nearly as likely to trip over their own ambition as we are. They tend to be a bit more humble and, and I'm going to use this word and give me a second, and teachable. All right? Now, I realize that sometimes they throw their little temper tantrums and they're not very teachable then. So, but let's be honest, you throw your own little adult version of a temper tantrum too, right? And so do I. Um, so, so I think we can give them a little grace. But just in general, they are more humble and teachable usually than us as adults. They see the world around them in a way that we absolutely struggle to see it. Right? Much closer to the way Jesus sees it than us. So Jesus said the little ones will receive the kingdom of heaven. Think of, I want you to think of a time when you witnessed a little one get a gift from someone that was very close to them. Right? Someone they loved. Someone that they knew very personally. Right? The, and as long as they're not throwing one of their temper tantrums at the time. Um, Usually when a little one gets a gift from someone they love, there's real joy there, right? And it can be little or big. Usually it doesn't matter. Um, so question, are we authentically joyful with the many gifts that God gives us? Sometimes probably, but my guess is not always. So Jesus was simply promoting a humble, honest joyful, real faith in God, and he used the innocence of little children to hopefully nail that down for us. So we're going to work our way today through a story in Mark 9 and use that as some lessons learned, some things that we can learn from, from these little ones. All right, so I'm going to set the scene. So prior to where we're going to pick up the reading, Peter, James, and John 
and Jesus are coming down from the mountain, right? This is the story of the transfiguration. And so they're on their way back down. They witnessed, right, Jesus' deity, his glory. They were coming back down, and then we start the passage, all right? So we're going to read Mark 9, 14 through 29. It's a little bit long, but then we'll go back through the story and, and kind of go through it verse by verse. All right, so starting at verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran, and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, <clears throat> I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at his mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's, father's, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. Okay, so at the beginning of this story, we're introduced to the religious leaders. Jesus regularly came down pretty hard on these guys. Primarily because their faith was just uh, an external system of, of beliefs to make themselves look good. They, weren't, they were more interested in their image and their power than they were interested in an authentic relationship with God. So you might recall Jesus calling them hypocrites and whitewashed tombs, right? So he, he regularly came down pretty hard on them. So this brings us to lesson one. Faith requires attachment. So the Pharisees were all about the perception of the law, how they were perceived by people. Jesus was more concerned about their hearts and our hearts because he knew that that sets the course of our life. So they were worried about the law, more worried about the law than they were worried about the lawgiver, right? Jesus cares about his connection with us. So what can we learn from little children about this? So it's actually pretty simple. So from the time a little one is born, they're wired, their psyche is wired to crave connection, right? They, even as an infant, they want to be connected to, to someone that loves them, right? And that's where they find peace and safety. It's as they grow, it's where they find comfort. It's where they know they're safe. As they start to wander and experience the world around them, it gives them the the courage and ability to do that because they know that they still have this safe place to come to once, once they've maybe gone a little bit too far, right? Isn't that exactly the kind of attachment that even Jesus had with his father, right? How often did Jesus uh, 
go off to, to pray and to, to reconnect with Abba, Father. Right? He didn't try to escape from it or drown it in wine or do anything else. Right? He, he reconnected with God to, to get rid of those things in his life that he knew he didn't want there. Right? So he wants us to do the same thing, to cultivate an attachment to our Father, to build in a relationship with Him that we know it's a safe place that we can come. As we navigate this world around us, we know right, God is there for us, so we can come back to Him. We know that He's the primary source of joy in life, right? not the world around us. So we're also then introduced to the disciples. They're in the story. The religious leaders were arguing with them. Jesus asked them what they're arguing about, and then we hear from someone new, the boy's father. He speaks up to tell his story. He says he brought a son to be healed, and they were having an argument about that. So we don't know the details about the argument, but I can imagine the religious leaders saying something like, you have no authority to do that, you shouldn't be doing that. You know, it's kind of typical Pharisee behavior. Then in verse 18... Maybe with some exasperation in his voice, probably. The father says to Jesus, I asked your disciples to cast out this spirit, but they couldn't do it. Right? He had hopes that they could, but they weren't able to. So we come to the main point of the story. The dad is at his wit's end. Right? He doesn't know what else to do. You've probably been somewhere like that before. You might be there now. And unfortunately... You might be someplace like that in the future. So you can probably relate. Sometimes, no matter what you do, there doesn't seem to be a solution. There doesn't seem to be a way out. Nothing seems to be happening. That's how we found this father, right? The child can't talk. He's probably a mess. He probably doesn't have a lot of friends, or probably he's getting bullied. Um, And it's probably affecting the whole family. Right? These kind of things tend to affect everyone. They might have even been cut off from their community. Right, So this, the dad is truly at his wit's end. So we get to lesson two. Lesson two is we have to depend on the Lord. We often depend a little too much on ourselves, maybe too much on other people. We need to depend on God. The dad did bring the son to Jesus. He had tried everything else. And so he brings them to the Lord. We have to come to, to the realization that we have to bring things to the God. So listen to how this is described in Jeremiah 17, starting at verse 5. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. There will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. Imagine, let's see, uh, Who's maybe the youngest person in here? Dempsey? Oh, I didn't even see him over there. How old is he? Four. Okay. 
So imagine someone who's four years old saying to their parents, all right, mom and dad, I'm good. I'm moving out. I mean, it's just ridiculous, right? It's, it's totally ridiculous. Um, right? You can't imagine a four-year-old, like, what, you can't even imagine how they would navigate the world to, to live on their own. Okay. I mean, this is going to be a little hard to say because it applies to me and I don't like it. But we do, we do exactly the same thing, right? We, the little ones, like, as we're teaching them, like, we grab their hand to cross the street. We grab their hand to walk down the stairs because they, they need us when they're little. They eventually learn to do it on their own. But they're not ready to move out and be completely on their own. But, but we pretend like we're able to move out of God's house and live completely on our own. When, in fact, we still need God to hold our hand many times. And we, I don't know, we, we depend on ourselves, right? We don't depend on him. We depend on other people instead of him. And he's right there. He wants to hold our hand. He wants to guide us and direct us and help us in whatever it is we might need. But we laugh at the idea of a four-year-old doing it, but we're pretty quick to do it ourselves. All right, so let's continue with the story. Around verse 19, Jesus says, okay, bring the boy to me. At that point, there's a violent convulsion. Can you feel the dad's desperation? I don't know how many convulsions he's seen, probably a lot. But, man, every time, it must be heartbreaking. In verse 21, Jesus asks, how long has this been happening? If I were the dad, I'd be thinking, stop asking questions and please do something. He probably was thinking something like that. I don't know. Um, but he answers, since he was small. Right? You can just hear his despondency, right? It's been happening for a long time. The dad has been shown faith to come to Jesus. But his next statement shows a little bit of doubt. Right? Verse 22. If you can do something, please take pity on us and help us. And Jesus responds. This is our lesson number three. God can do anything. Jesus responds, if? If it were me, I'm thinking that my if would be, I have a little bit of attitude with it. If? Do you not know who you're talking about? But I don't hear that with Jesus' response. To me, it seems a little more encouraging, right? Don't worry. I can do things. As a matter of fact, all things are possible with, with God. Faith recognizes that accomplishing impossible feats is not at all about our ability and all about God's ability, right? God can do all things. Little ones believe that their parents, their grandparents and their nanas and their pop-pops, and all those people that are special to them, they believe that they can do everything, right? Because at, at this point in their lives, when they're little, they have. So most of you know Julia, our youngest daughter. She's not so young anymore. But I remember when she was three, four years old, she liked to jump off the steps. And she would want me to catch her, right? So she started the first one and jump, second one jump, third one jump, fourth one jump. And I could catch her. It was fine. But she wanted to go to the top and jump. Right. And I, I don't, I'm not sure if I could catch her, but I absolutely know that she couldn't even make it to me. Right. But in her mind, it didn't matter. I can go from the top step and jump and he'll catch me. It's not true, but in her mind, it was true. But God will catch you no matter what step. Right. He absolutely will. 
So God can do all things in our lives, if we, but we have to bring them to him. So my guess is, because it's true of all of us, there's something in our lives that we don't bring to him, right? There's things that we haven't trusted and depend on him for. So if we don't take that step, right, if we don't jump, then he can't catch us. All right, lesson number four. People of faith, people of faith ask God to help their unbelief. So verse 24, the, the dad said, I do believe, but help my unbelief. So he recognized that, right, he had some doubts and some issues and some questions. So I kind of threw one daughter on the bus, so it's time for the other one, right? So we have an older daughter who's definitely not little anymore. Um, when it comes to questions, kids can be brutally honest and sometimes downright humiliating and embarrassing, right? So you've probably all experienced this. So here's our, here's our family embarrassing story. There, there was a time many years ago when, doc, I don't know what medicine it was, but there was a medicine that got prescribed pretty regularly that caused people's teeth to gray a little bit. I don't know if you've ever seen that. So I don't think it happens anymore. But So this is a long time ago, and again, that's four years old. Like, that kind of thing happened. So Jenna was about four, and there was a gentleman that she met that had that, and his teeth were a little bit, like, grayed. And, like, she did not... You know, it was a completely innocent question, but her question to that guy was, why do you have yucky teeth? And, I mean, she didn't know how to express what she was thinking, but, you know, but kids are brutally honest with their questions. This guy was pretty honest with his, admitting, right, I believe, but man, I have some unbelief too, and I need you to help me. We should be more like our little ones, right? Be willing to ask the question. You know, maybe we don't have to be quite so blunt um, and humiliating in the way we ask it, but, but, but we need to ask those questions, even if it's hard. And don't be afraid of doubt, right? So Laura's heard me say this before. She loves this. So doubt is the ants in the pants of faith, right? So doubt's okay as long as you're sincerely looking for a heart felt true answer, right? So having these questions will lead us to an answer if we're really searching for it, as opposed to just looking for an excuse to bash God, right? You might not find a true answer that way, but if you're open to a real answer, having a few questions and doubts is okay, right? Help me overcome my unbelief. All right, so Matthew 17, 20, I'm going to read from there. So he replied, because you have so little faith, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Right? So a question of doubt is okay. A a tiny bit of faith will allow us to, to be in relationship with God and to allow him to work in our lives, to build more and more trust, more and more faith, to help our unbelief. All right, so one more final lesson here. It comes at the end of the story, verse 28 and 29. Lesson five, regularly connect with Jesus. The disciples asked Jesus, why couldn't we do that? Why couldn't we uh, get that demon out? His answer, the key is prayer. Right? Prayer is just communicating, touching base with God. So here's the connection with our little ones. Our little ones desperately want to connect with us. 
do we want to connect with our Father in that desperate way, right? As a little one would want to connect to their parents. So I pray that that God would help us to be more like these little ones, right? These precious guys that I don't know how many there were, but every time I'm, my heart just kind of feel like they're Grinch, right? My heart grows a little bit every time I see them. Um, right? God wants us to be more like them, right? There are a lot of things we can learn from their open hearts and the way that they see the world around them. So I pray that God will help us to be more like them so that we can inherit the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Lord God, we are in awe and wonder of you. When we contemplate the beauty and complexity of the world around us, what other response can we have? Then we realize that of all of your great creation, you think of us as your masterpiece. Lord, I pray we'd be overwhelmed by that, by your love. Lord, help us to move past our pride. May we learn the lesson that Jesus was teaching, that we can learn from even the little ones, especially when it comes to faith. Not that, not that faith is blind or foolish, but it's authentic and it's joyful and it's simple and humble and honest. May we connect with you deeply. And Lord, may we depend on you as our faith grows. We believe, Lord, but Lord, we pray you help our unbelief. So God, we ask all of this in your merciful, powerful name. Amen.